Well, as Adria mentioned, happy 15th anniversary to Velocity. Some of you guys have been here since that, that time. Chip, I know you're, you're one of them. Yeah. Yeah, and we're so grateful to Tim and Lisa Cole and their vision for starting a church here and them working with Waypoint Church Partners to, uh, to plant churches all over the place. They plant here in Virginia, they plant in Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, North Carolina, West Virginia, all kinds of places, and we just, we just love being a part of that church plant culture. It's a great thing. Here's the thing, though, about 15. So we did the teenager thing. So my, my wife and I, we have a teenager now officially, and, and so, so we're there. Here's the thing about 15, though. 15 is about when you can get your learner's permit. And that makes me even more nervous, I think, as far as teenagers. So that's where we are. We, we're about to get our learner's permit, and we're, we're glad for that as a church. Uh, that's an amazing thing. Let me ask you this. How long does it take for you to get or take a first impression of someone? Some of you are already done. Like some of you all done that with me. You, you know, it's like, oh, I, I think I've got this guy pegged. I know exactly about it. It takes about a tenth of a second. Do you believe that? No. It's on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> no, there's a, a scientific study done by Princeton University, and subsequently other people have taken this up as well, that it takes us about a tenth of a second for us to form our opinions on someone else just based on a picture of their face. And that's all we need. And more time doesn't really cause us to change anything else. We just get more grounded in our preconceived notions of who that person is just based on that one shot of their face. Makes you think twice about posting selfies, doesn't it? Maybe it should. I don't know. But it was all kinds of things. And this wasn't just about attractiveness or likability. These were all kinds of traits that people were asked to rank people on based on just a tenth of a second of seeing, seeing their face. All kinds of things about their character. So were they, you know, ranking them on their attractiveness, their likability? Were they competent, honest, trustworthy, aggressive, extroverted, enthusiastic, sympathetic, or warm, dependable, or self-disciplined, calm, or emotionally stable, open to new experiences? or complex and ambitious. Now, to me, that seems crazy that all those things we could make immediate assumptions about somebody in, in less than a second, and yet it's something that we do all the time. We have, all have our ideas of what certain facial expressions and even facial features mean to us because of our life experience and things that we've been taught or biases that we developed, and none of that has any bearing on whether or not our assumptions are correct. Because that's a whole other study. Okay, how many people were accurate in their assumptions? I mean, you just toss that up in the air. You know, it's, it's just a, you get, you get lucky sometimes. I mean, sometimes we can, if we have a little bit more than a second, we can be a little bit more, more accurate. Sometimes we're spot on, sometimes we're way off. I know my wife is so thankful that her first impression of me was so spot on. <laughs> it has just changed, changed her life. <laughs> You know, we're told not to judge a book by its cover, but we do. We do it all the time. And some of the times it makes sense, but only if we have the wisdom to know what to do with that presumed information that we think we have about that other person. If we all have a commonly agreed upon standard of mutual respect that we extend to everyone, then, then maybe then we give ourselves a chance to gain more insight in our interactions with each other to draw more informed conclusions. But this is a lost art in our culture. And so like Adria mentioned, we're talking about civility this morning, of which I'm sure all of us will agree is in short supply, but we may not agree on who is in short supply of it. So I'm glad some of you chuckled at that. I, I enjoy those kinds of things very much. 
Civility is formal politeness and courtesy and behavior or speech. So maybe the alternate title for this, this message this morning, the sermon, is How to Not Be a Jerk. Because I just imagine, because I, I, I know, I know, you know, I'm human too, right? And, and so I know how, how I think about things, these things. I just imagine somebody thinking, oh, I know somebody who needs to hear this. Like, I can't wait to shoot them this, not that, you know, it would be really passive-aggressive, you know, to shoot them the link to this message. And I get tickled uh, thinking about that. We know when someone else has been discourteous or impolite to us. We so clearly see that in others, but it's so much harder to evaluate ourselves on this because we default to thinking about how other people should be treating us versus how we should be treating other people. Last week when we talked about the lost art of purity, we talked about how there's this thing that we can use to study ecosystems called a shifting baseline syndrome and how what we grow up as believing to be normal is sometimes as a result of those ecosystems breaking down, not because that's how things should be. And one of the things you know, that's a little different for, for us in our experience, some of you know that I live out in the country. And one of the things that's very different out in the country that still seems like maybe a really old school thing is that sometimes we actually wave to each other on backcountry roads as we're driving. Did you know that? That's, that's a still, still a thing. Like, we, we wave to our neighbors. And so, some, of you, some of you live in neighborhoods where you know people and stuff like that, and so you wave, you're friendly to your, to your neighbors, but we'll, we'll actually do that. But even that has changed from what it once was. We had an elderly neighbor stop by one time, and they said, yeah, things have changed a lot out here, even in the country, even where, you know, we, we wave to each other as we're driving by, you know, on our tractors <clears throat> on those backcountry roads. I don't have a tractor. I'm just, I'm just kidding about that. But he said, hey, folks used to like, stop by and say hello, welcome to the neighborhood. Not that there are many neighborhoods out there, but welcome to the area and, and bring a pie you know, by or something like that, which I thought, man, that'd be great. Nobody did that for us. And he said, well, because enough people started moving out here that just made it clear that they just weren't interested in any kind of interconnectedness with, uh, with other people. They came out here to, to get away from neighbors, not to get to know them. And I know this isn't the case everywhere, but if civility is a lost art that needs to be recaptured, and, and rest assured that it does, there's only one way that's going to happen, and that change has got to start with us. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to be conspicuously different in our interactions with other people, following how Jesus treated others, how he interacted with people, and it has to begin with us. And when I say that, there's a deeper way to think about politeness and courtesy beyond just formality, because we can fake that. That's, that's easy. It's not until we genuinely recognize one another as fellow flawed human beings created in the image of God. And for that simple fact alone, other people are worthy of our humility and general respect that we begin to model biblical civility. Civility begins in the heart, but is practiced with considerate action. And like with any lost art, the key to incorporating them into our lives are found in recognizing why they're needed, even when they're no longer in vogue, and what actions we must take. And that sets us apart as disciples of Jesus. We practice them regardless of our feelings at the time, regardless of how somebody else is treating us in the moment, or no matter how strangely other people might look at us, because they are markers for who God has called us to be. So check out the scripture from James chapter 3. And this is James 3, verses 13 through 18. And this is what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. 
But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, purer than peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There's so much in this chunk of scripture to unpack that is so timely and applicable to our lives. Bitter envy and selfish ambition from within and without are so often what we're fighting against in the temptation to not treat others with courtesy and genuine politeness. And James gives us the exact filter that we should run all of our thoughts and actions through to live this good life to which we are called as followers of Jesus. And so godly wisdom, that filter in our interactions with others is this, it's pure, It's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, and sincere. If it's not, then we need to stop talking. And we need to start evaluating the work God is trying to do in our hearts. The other day I saw yet another picture on social media that had the caption, no filter. And I have a confession to make for you. Every time I see that caption on somebody's picture, I have this overwhelming temptation to type, we can tell. Now, this was nobody from Velocity, nobody connected to Velocity, so I I don't want anybody to think that, like, I'm I'm sub-sermoning you. Is that a thing? Like, subtweeting? You guys know what I'm talking about? I know what I'm talking about. I'm not sub-sermoning anybody or anything like that, but I just have this overwhelming, if you have never been paid professionally for photography, you don't have to caption no filter, because we know, like we can tell when you take pictures, not enough people are laughing about that, I feel like I've stepped in something, and that's okay, but I've been working on that, you know, because is it true? Yes. Is it funny? Yes. Is it godly civility? No. Typing that comment wouldn't be. It may seem like a small thing, but not being faithful in the small things is what gets us in trouble when it comes to the big things. So, for example, I make it a big deal for our kids when I hear them say things like, yeah. Yeah, Say, I I think you meant to say something else. I don't say that nicely sometimes. No, you meant to say, yes, sir. Or you meant to say, yes, ma'am. And it's funny sometimes how people feel about that, because every once in a while you'll say that to somebody just, just out of a matter of just being civil, polite, kind to other people. And they'll say, I'm not old, I'm not a ma'am, you know, or something like that. And it's like, it has nothing to do with age, it has nothing to do with you and how you perceive yourself and any of those things. It's about treating other, other people with a foundation of value. Not to mention that it becomes an expectation or perhaps even an aspiration for the recipient of that politeness because most people want to rise to the level of value that we give them. And that's why as followers of Jesus, we've got to be intentional about these things. It becomes a vicious cycle when we lose even basic politeness in our vocabulary and actions because that indifference begets indifference. And we're called to be different. We need a lot more yes sirs. And yes, ma'ams, we need a lot more holding open the door for other people. We need a lot more eye contact. We need a lot more hellos when we're walking past someone on the street. We need a lot more thank yous and your welcomes because when we aren't disciplined in these things, we lose the connection that causes us to be human together and in community with each other. It's much easier to be wise in this respect when it comes to those we like, agree with, we have an affinity for, you know, there's some reason that selfishly, like, we're okay with that relationship being in our life. But even then, we have a great opportunity to practice what we preach as disciples of Jesus and be consistent and develop the awareness necessary to guard ourselves 
to guard our own intentions and interactions with others from envy and ambition. When we're swept away by the hypocrisy of characterization along sharp cultural dividing lines, it only serves to dehumanize people and, and, and we start to think of them as our opponents. So often when talking about political issues or social issues or interpersonal problems, I see people characterize the other in ways that are willfully disingenuous even about somebody else's opinion or position. We hate it when other people do it to us, but if we're participants in this cycle, then we're perpetuators of it. We're, we're engaging in the same thing. And we can't expect others to change their behaviors if we're unwilling to change ours. Again, our filter is that godly wisdom that James mentions that we put everything through. Is it pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, sincere? How different would your week look if you ran all of your communication, all of your emails, all of your text messages, uh, your social media posts, whatever, interactions with other people, what if you ran it through that filter for the week? What would your week look like? Would it look any marginally different? Would it be the same? Maybe that sounds exhausting. It's like, oh, I gotta pull the list out. You know, and well, that's only because we have different unhealthy habits formed. You know, the habits that we kind of get used to because of the, the shifting baselines that we grow up in. Maybe it would cut back on what you normally would say and do. I've, I've found that's often a very good thing. Maybe it would give you some ideas of how to replace what you would normally say and do with words and actions that would be wise and actually plant a different type of seed you know, that develops civility where you thought there couldn't even be any, even with those that we are directly at odds with. And so much of this has to do with how we're thinking about ourselves and, and how other people interacting with us causes us to feel and think. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote something that I think is incredibly timely for our society at large. He says this, Let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted whenever I am contradicted. Talk about being tempted to, like, copy and paste something into every other Internet post that exists in the world. You know, I just love to put that in there. Because I know that I struggle with this sometimes. Just because somebody's contradicted me. It's like, oh, man, the world is ending, and they're a horrible person. As disciples of Jesus, though, we expect contradiction. We expect to have our faith challenged. We expect for the world to be off and to feel off. We expect to be uncomfortable. We expect that there's not going to be an answer for our faith to be found in any socio-political system or side. And that's going to be uncomfortable for us because Jesus told us to expect that. And maybe one day, maybe one day there will be a day that we experience persecution in this country, but it hasn't happened to date. All these things have been happening and will continue to happen, and Jesus tells us to expect it, and yet it changes nothing in who we're called to be to those around us. To take it a step further, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5 during the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You've heard what it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is a new standard of ethics that Jesus is introducing that goes beyond just courtesy and politeness. In fact, this is the passage from which we get our idiom, our expression, go the extra mile, except that's come to mean something a little bit different than what Jesus meant. Most of the time when we say that, we're trying to 
you know, you know work out something to, that's, that's going to be mutually beneficial for us and for the other person. You know, that's why we would go the extra mile for somebody, because some, in some way it's going to benefit us down the road. But when Jesus taught this, he was talking about the fact that Roman soldiers could legally require somebody to carry their gear whether they're able to or not, or had the time to or not, or were dealing with something else or not, they, had to, they could force people to carry their gear for, a, for an entire mile down the road, out of their way, no matter how inconvenient it was. And Jesus is saying, hey, instead of just carrying that for one mile, go ahead and, go ahead and carry it for two. Instead of having a heart set on you know, our own selfish ambition, or our own bitter envy, you know, Jesus calls us to a higher standard of living and how we interact with other people. Instead of our having our hearts set on ourselves or set on revenge or making somebody else feel the way that we think they ought to feel, we should go in the opposite direction because practicing civility prepares us for the compassion that Jesus calls us, calls us to live our lives by. Once we've done that, there will be times when our godly courtesy is rejected, and those are times when we can shake the dust from our feet with a clear conscience that we've treated the person just as Jesus would, but we've got to get our feet dusty first. Earlier I said we could maybe call this, this sermon something else, you know, just not just civility, but how to not be a jerk. And so I, I want to give you some practical steps for what that looks like in our lives, beyond just filtering all of those things that we do and say through uh, through what James gives us in chapter 3. The first is this. Stop talking about people by how they're grouped and start listening to individuals. How we think and feel about each other is meant to be experienced in the context of relationship and community. And if all that we do is make broad assumptions and never speak to the person who's caught up in the stereotype that we're referencing or pointing at, it's best to stop running our mouth until we've taken the time to listen, especially if that person is a fellow disciple of Jesus. But even if not, we're all made in God's image and are worth caring about. And so, so we've got we've to shift away from how the world calls us, calls us to interact with each other and think more about what godly interaction looks like. Here's another one. Be genuinely curious about the other person and let them be curious about you. The best way to combat bitter envy and selfish ambition is to not center life around yourself. And that's counter to what we're told to do. We're built for interconnectedness, and there's nothing more isolated than all, isolating than only thinking about relationships in terms of what you and I can get out of them, or keeping yourself to yourself. And, and that doesn't lead to any place good in our lives. The third is this. Assume positively. This is not our default, if, if, if you didn't know. I mean, most of the time when we're looking at somebody and they're doing something that we think is crazy, we're, we're assuming negatively about them. That person doesn't know how to drive, you know, oh, they're an idiot, you know, wh whatever the, those things might be. Uh, I, you know, maybe, maybe they have an emergency and are trying to get to the hospital. You know, there, there's a different way to think about other people in terms of, when we can put ourselves in the situation and say, well, there would be a reason that we would do the same thing, maybe we can assume those things about other people. It's not meant to be an excuse for someone else's behavior. If it's wrong, it's wrong. But it's, by rem it's remembering that we're not always on our game either. 
And we might save ourselves and that other person some unnecessary grief if we have just a little bit of understanding, the same level maybe even, that we expect others to have with us. And here's, here's a final one. No, by no means an exhaustive list, but here's a final one. Work to set the tone of those conversations and those interactions through godly wisdom. Someone gets your order wrong, you have a customer that's giving you grief, you're dealing with a cranky kid, uh, you get a comment on your post, you get a nasty email. You and I, we get to set the tone of what that conversation and what that interaction looks like moving forward. And we can give the other party the opportunity to match it. James 3, 17, 18, let me, let me remind us of what it says. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so the way we interact with other people should be the way that we want them to interact with us. I mean, this is, this is how Jesus teaches us to live our interconnected, interpersonal lives, lives, whether it's with our best friends or with someone who considers us an enemy. And so while we don't seek after ourselves or we don't seek after revenge, you know, peacemakers do stand up for what is right. We can address the reality we're in without hitting the self-destruct self self button on the relationship. And this is not about controlling the other person or trying to determine the outcome of, of this interaction or whatever it may be in your life. We can't control whether or not someone else does that. But for our part, we'll be able to look through our past, look through the rearview mirror, and evaluate the pattern we've left behind as we go the extra mile. The largest part of standing up for what is right is striving to show the fullness and grace of grace and truth that Jesus calls us to in our interactions with others. If there's something about us that must be rejected, let it be that, that we're being Christ-like. We're called to peacemaking in our relationships with others. And peacemaking is about restoring things to how they ought to be. And it starts with Jesus, and it continues on through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So as we take this moment right now, and as we're meditating on God's word, worshiping through scripture, we're preparing our hearts and minds for being who God has called us to be. And one of the things that we do every week at Velocity to, to, to make sure that we have this centered on the right foundation is that we take communion together every week. We come to this point where we recognize that, you know, this is not just self-help self advice. This is not just how to be happier in 10 days. This, this is about how life was created to be. And this is how our Savior treats us, even though we're wholly undeserving. You know, our sin makes us totally, totally undeserving of God's grace and mercy in our lives, and yet he extends it to us, to us anyway. And this is what Jesus does for us on the cross. And this is what he continues to make possible through his resurrection. Is that even, even though God has every reason to, to be wholly impolite to us, to not show us any courtesy whatsoever, he offers us eternity with him instead. And so this, this affects who we are as a people. This is, affects how we interact with each other. It affects how we interact with the world around us. And it calls us uh, to a different ethic in how we respond to how people respond to us.
So as we prepare our hearts and our minds for communion this morning, as we meditate on God's word, let me pray for us that we might be in a place where the Holy Spirit can work in how we live and interact with one another. Let's pray. God, I know for me so many times it's, it, it's that, it's not being prepared for that moment. You know, somebody says just the right thing that pushes just the right button, and immediately I can feel, I can feel my face flush, I can feel the adrenaline start to pump, and it's just ready there on the tip of my tongue. God, I, I ask that you, that you help us to see a different way that that we build consistency in our lives and how we treat one another, how we think about one another, so that in those moments we can be prepared to speak and act in the way that you would. That, that we, can, we can be civil, yes, but to go beyond that, we can be compassionate with other people because of the compassion that you have shown us. It's not just formal courtesy and politeness that we show. That can be easily faked, but that you do that you do a work in our hearts through your spirit that causes us to see others the way that you see us. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the way that you have loved us and continue to love us. And we ask for you to continue to guide us through your Holy Spirit and how we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.